after Sunday. We're just blessed with these worship teams, aren't we? And they're all three different, isn't it? And they're all amazing and blessing. So thank you for that. Before we just begin, we're going to have a fabulous morning here culminating in baptism. And there's nothing like baptism. But I first want to highlight we are... Uh, privileged, really, uh, to co-labor with a church up at the Hilltowns, Rock Road Chapel. George Viteta does a wonderful job there and uh, helping us co-labor with them to, to reach some families there that are less fortunate than we are. And we do have a food pantry. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm harassing you, but that's not the goal here. It's just to remind you when you're shopping, if you can get an item or two and then bring it here, we will bring it up to help out some, uh, I think, 50, 60, 70, 80 families that really are in need. And uh, we'd certainly love for them to have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. So if you can remember the food pantry, that would be awesome. George is always in the back and would love to talk to you about that. Well, if you don't know, uh, this is Palm Sunday, right? And hopefully everybody knows what Palm Sunday is about. But Palm Sunday is the day that uh, Jesus Christ came riding into Jerusalem. And the crowds were ecstatic. And by Friday, he's on a cross. So it's an amazing thing, isn't it? You think we can be fickle? But, uh, you know, Jesus was not surprised by what happened. In fact, he predicted it numerous times, but he also predicted on the night that he was betrayed. We know it as the Last Supper. It's actually a Seder meal, and so that's why on Friday, Good Friday, we, we kind of go through the Seder meal, but from a Christian perspective. If you've never participated in that, you can get uh, the Christian perspective and understand what Jesus was really doing on that Thursday night, and we still have room for you. You can sign up for that. There's a table in the back to do that. All right. Well, there was this three-year-old girl. Her name was Julie, and it's kind of appropriate. She was experiencing her first baptism. And uh, as the minister was baptizing this particular man, the little girl Julie turns to her mom and she says, "Uh, Mommy, why does the minister push the man down into the water? And the mother, you know, explained it to her in words that she just couldn't understand. So later that afternoon, like good parents, uh, both the mother and the father sat little Julie down. And they explained it to her in words that they, they could understand, that she could understand. And they said, now, Julie, the water symbolizes Jesus washing the person from all of the bad things that they've done. And when they come up out of the water, they're, they're going to be clean. And from then on, they're going to try to be good. And little Julie thought about that for a while. And then she said, well, why doesn't Pastor Bob just spank him then? (laughs) You know, and I thought, that's not a bad idea. And Pastor Jeff is going to be baptizing many. And I think we can just go with the spanking round, just for getting wet, right? Don't you think that would just work and and, and whatnot? So, uh, but we will be experiencing. I want to talk a little bit about baptism this morning, in fact. And uh, we are going to continue our study in the book of Philippians. And As we continue our study, I've entitled the message, Making a Statement. Making a Statement. Lord, I just thank you for each and every person that is here. I don't believe they're here by accident. I do believe that you drew them. And Lord, I know the word won't be easy in a way. 
But I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come in a powerful way and manifest yourself, that you will give us soft hearts, that we could receive what your word says, that you would give us ears to really hear what's being said, that we wouldn't be resistant, that we'd open up and realize that you want us to win. You want us to experience life. Every single person here comes with a different burden. Maybe some of us are rejoicing this morning, but my guess is the vast majority of us are coming with some sort of burden. And you can lift those burdens through truth. And so I just ask that this will be a tremendously, in a way, freeing message this morning and speak to us. And so I'm asking that you'll fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head and that the words that I speak will truly be your words, words of life. And I'm thanking you what you're going to do now and I pray that you will be glorified, Jesus. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. You know, as I saw that video, it's true. Life is a journey, isn't it? And really the only question that each one of us should be asking ourselves is where will our journey end up? Where will our journey end up? And the short answer to that question is what are you aiming for? What is your goal? What is your target? And Paul this morning tells us, you know, sadly, this really, no, this this just burns my heart. He says, sadly, most people's journey is not going to end well, and he's going to tell us why. And so we look in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, otherwise we have it up here. And Paul writes this, for as I've often told you before, and now say it again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You know, what really just, just uh, gets to me is verses 18 and 19, and I hope it does you. Um, he's not talking, by the way, here when he talks about enemies of the cross, he's not talking about Richard Dawkins. He's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about agnostics. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about people who claim to be Christians. I call them convenient Christians or maybe middle-of-the-road Christians. The Bible uses the term, Jesus uses the term lukewarm Christians. And, And Paul makes it clear, though, that these people are not Christians because he says in Philippians 3.18, he says that they're enemies of the cross. Now, that's interesting. And, you know, and as I thought about that, you know, here's what Paul's driving it. He's saying, you know, people want Jesus, but they don't want his cross. People want Jesus, but they don't want his cross. People want Jesus' forgiveness, but they don't want to give his forgiveness to those who have hurt him. People want Jesus' power, but they don't want his submission, and they don't want his obedience to Papa. People want Jesus' life, but they don't want his death. You know, believe it or not, what really disturbs me as a pastor is do you realize that more and more churches in America are no longer having a cross in their church. Did you know that? More and more 
churches in America do not have a cross in their church. In fact, Skip put up the picture, the largest church in the United States is in Houston, Texas. It's Lakewood Church, Joel Olstein's church. They have no cross. But they're not the only ones, by the way. You go to many of the larger churches today and they will not put the cross up. And do you know why? Because it's offensive. It makes people feel that bad. And, you know, the reality is, please hear me on this, the cross does represent death. In fact, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. He said, you know, if you want to follow me, if, you, if, if you're a believer or you claim to be a believer or a Christian, then he said, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross daily and then you can follow me. Because you see, if you seek to save your own life, then you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, now listen, he says, then you're going to find real life. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about bodily death? No, he's not talking about bodily death at all. What he's talking about, though, is he's talking about the death of our dreams, our goals, and our desires. And saying, you know what? Here, Jesus, I just see who you are. I see that you love me. I see that you died for me. Here is my life. Here are the dreams and goals and desires that I have. I'm putting them at the cross, and now I want your dreams and your goals and your desires for my life because I know they're bigger and they're better and they're eternal. And Paul says, though, by the way, if you won't go through the cross, please hear this now. If you won't go through the cross, if you won't go through the death of your dreams and goals and desires, then he says it's the destruction of your soul. He says that your soul will be destroyed. Do you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about hell. Now, that's, boy, that's a popular subject. Boy, I'm encouraged now. But do you realize that Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else? It's a real place. I mean, Hell terrifies me. Do you understand what hell is? Hell is a place where God is not. There is no love in hell. There is just hate and anger and rage. There is no peace in hell. There is just eternal unrest and regret. There is no contentment at all in hell. The human soul will be consumed by wanton desires that will never, ever be satiated. It's a place that none of us wants to go. Now, Paul gives us three vivid descriptions of what he calls the nominal Christian or the carnal Christian, which is an oxymoron or a worldly Christian. It's the Christian who has one foot here or a person who has one foot in heaven and tries to have one foot in earth. And what you get is just this kind of middle-of-the-road, smarmy kind of person. And Paul gives us three descriptions of that person because remember now, their end is destruction. And he says in verse 19, he says this of Philippians chapter 3. Their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. Now, most of us are thinking, you know, wow, Paul's talking about food. I want you to understand, Paul is not talking about a person whose kitchen is the shrine is their shrine, their cook, is their priest, their table is their altar, and their belly is their God. Paul's not talking about that person at all. In fact, Skip, can you put up the picture? You know what Paul is talking about? Womb worshipers. You know what a womb worshiper is? It's, see, in, in Back 2,000 years ago, in the womb, in the bowels of a person, came your desires, your fleshly desires. And what he's talking about here is, is the person whose stomach is their God, is he's saying their fleshly desires consume them and they control them. Things like approval 
or status or maybe possessions or maybe it's your job. You know, you want people to see the job that you have. Maybe it's wealth, it's money. Maybe for you it's eating or maybe it is drinking or maybe it's sex. How about entertainment or hobbies? This is a person, by the way, is who's consumed. Their stomach controls them. Do you know any person like that? Do you know any person like that? I bet you we all do. Then, see, their God is their stomach is what Paul is talking about. But he moves on. He gives us a second very vivid description of a person who, who says that they're a Christian, but they're really not. And the second description that he gives us is he says that their glory is actually their shame. Now, that's an interesting statement. Their glory is their shame. Let me ask you this question. What, is, what do you glory in? What do you glory in? You know, I remember in high school, and I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I remember in college, you know what I gloried in? I gloried in my football awards. I mean, I put them up everywhere so everyone could see them. I gloried in my sports awards. I gloried in how much I could drink in a night. You know, in the olden days, we used to have the beer cans, and we'd stack them up and see who had drank the most in a night. You know, that's pretty important to see who could drink the most in a night. You know, then I would see who I could whip in an arm wrestling contest. Really important stuff. I gloried in that. My father, on the other hand, he was a little different. He thought his son, you know, boy, i got to work on my son. But my, my father was an A-type personality. You know what he gloried in? Degrees. You know, he had an engineering degree. He had a law degree. He was an executive with Honeywell. He made a lot of money. He had houses. He had cars. He had, like I said, stocks. He had uh, uh, his retirement all planned out. And then I told you at age 84, two years before he died, I mean, suddenly he had a flash of insight. I call it the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit moved on him. And I told you this. He just looked He was in one of his houses, and and I was there, and he he actually was in his right mind. He had Louis Body's dementia, and I I really believe God did this. And he was looking at all, and he goes, son, son, none of this is going to matter, is it, when I die? And he recognized that what he was glorying in now, what he had gloried in, would be his shame. You know, about a year ago, I think it was, I talked to you about Mickey Mantle. Skip, can you put up his picture? Mickey Mantle, many of you know him. Of course, he's the Yankee legend. He's in the Hall of Fame. But oftentimes, Mickey Mantle was more known for his exploits off the field than he was for his exploits on the field. And eventually, his exploits off the field caught up with him. And Mantle died earlier than he should have. He died as an alcoholic, cirrhosis. Of the liver, and six months before Mickey Mantle died, he held his final press conference, and I talked to you a little bit about that a year ago. And they actually said that Mantle at that time looked like death, some, something like he's looking there. And at the press conference, here's part of what he said. Do you remember this? He said, "God gave me a great body and an ability to play baseball. God gave me everything." And then Mantle, choking up, said, "And I just..." And tears just began to well up in his eyes. And then he said this, just pleading, just pleading. He said, I'd like to say to all of the kids out there, if you are looking for a role model, don't be like me. And then a reporter asked Mantle if he had signed a donor card. And here's what Mantle said. Everything I've got is worn out. 
And then he said, although I've heard people say they'd like to have my heart, sadly, it's never been used. You know, Mantle understood something that most Americans will never understand. You see, Mantle was able now to look from an eternal perspective upon his life. And he realized, no, no, he realized that all of his awards, he had batting titles, triple crown titles, he had World Series titles. I mean, this guy had titles upon titles. And he realized that when he died and he stood before Jesus, he'd have nothing to offer. In fact, he realized that if he died a year earlier than he did, And he said, Jesus, let me give you, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you my batting titles. I'm going to give you my MVP awards. I'm going to give you my World Series. I'm going to give you all the trophies that I've garnered as a Yankee. He realized Jesus would say to him, Mickey, what's this? It's junk. You did it all for you. You did it all for you, Mickey. But I want you to know, there is, there is a great story and an ending here. Mantle did have something to offer Jesus. One year before he died or so, one of his former teammates, Bobby Richardson, who was a very strong Christian, saw what was happening to Mantle. Oftentimes they talked to him about Jesus. And, and there in the hospital room, he witnesses to Mickey Mantle. And the great Mickey Mantle begins to weep. And he, and, he, and he recognizes somehow the Holy Spirit was moving on. And he recognized for the first time that he had just wasted his life. He had trashed his life. His God was his stomach, literally, his desires, his own personal fame. And he just repented right there. Just repented. And that's why that press conference happened six months later. And I want you to know, when Mickey Mantle died and he stood before Jesus, he had something that Jesus did want. He said, here, Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my heart. And that is something that Jesus Christ does want. Let me ask you a penetrating question now. If you were to die, if you were to die right now, and you were to enter eternity, and you were standing before Jesus, what could you offer him that he'd want? What could you offer him that he would really want? The short answer to that question is this. Jesus wants those things that you did that bring him glory, not you. Now think about this now. Jesus wants those things that brings him glory. So whatever you're doing right now for truly his glory and not yours, that will go with you into eternity. The other thing that will go with you into eternity is anything you've done to expand his kingdom. Not your kingdom, but his kingdom. All right. Well, I want us to look at a third description. Paul gives us a third description. And it's kind of an all-encompassing description of the lukewarm Christian. You know, the kind of worldly Christian. Remember, you got one foot here in heaven and you got one foot here on earth. And he gives an all-encompassing statement here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. He says of these people, these kind of worldly Christians, their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. What that means is, is that the worldly Christian The the middle-of-the-road believer, really what they're focused on is what the people of this world value. 
You know, George Barna, who's the foremost religious pollster in America, he came out with this study about six years ago that was just mind-blowing. And he said, you know what I found about American Christians? He said this, American Christians' values are virtually no different than the people of the world's values. We value the exact same thing. Money, education, retirement, health. Exact same values. Mind-blowing. In the ninth century, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Charlemagne. And there's an intriguing story surrounding his burial. Skip, you can put up his picture. And it... Before Charlemagne died, and he knew he was dying, he made this request. Actually, it was an order. He said that he wanted to be entombed, sitting on his throne upright, with his royal crown on his royal head, his royal cape draped over his shoulders, his scepter, and and a book opened up on his lap. And the year he died, and that occurred in A.D. 814, About 200 years later, there was an emperor called Othello, and he was just kind of curious, and he wondered if Charlemagne's desires had actually been carried out. So he sent a group of guys down to Charlemagne's tomb to check it out and then report back. They went down to Charlemagne's tomb, and sure enough, you know what they found? Although it was kind of grotesque and gruesome. What they found is Charlemagne on his throne, kind of rusted, and it was, it was grotesque because part of his skin was still on, part of his skin was off, he had part of his hair, and, and the crown was still on its royal head, but it was tilted. He still had a scepter in his hand, but it was kind of rusted, and uh, his royal cape was moth-eaten, and then there was that book, and there was a book that was opened on his skeletal laps, and as Paul Harvey's would say, here's the rest of the story. You know what that book was? It was the Bible. It was the Bible. Someone had placed a Bible on Charlemagne's lap. And here's the intriguing thing. 200 years later, his bony finger was actually pointed to a particular passage. That passage is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. And it says this. Can you imagine what the men saw? Here it is. What good is it if a man gains the whole world, but yet he forfeits his soul? The crown, the cape, the scepter. Oh, oh, those are pictures of power and value in this world. But in eternity, it means nothing. It means nothing. What will you, what will I bring into eternity. So let me challenge us as we move towards baptism. Skip, can you put up those verses now? Philippians chapter 3. says this, but our citizenship, now he's speaking to the true Christian. Now watch it. But he goes, we wear heaven's jersey, using a sports analogy. We're in heaven, we got heaven's jersey, and we, now here's what we're focused on. We eagerly are waiting a savior, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, he's going to transform our lowly bodies. Anybody tired of bad health? All right? He's going to transform our lowly, sickly bodies so that they would be like his glorious body. We're going to talk about that on Resurrection Sunday. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You know, you, if you claim to wear heaven's jersey, 
then you need to be making a statement. I need to be making a statement. You know what the statement is? The statement that the Christian makes is, I am leaving behind this world. I have seen the magnificence of Jesus. I understand why he died on the cross. He was the only one that could connect me to heaven. I know that he was dying for my sins. He was paying the price for my ridiculous selfishness. And I'm leaving that world behind. I'm leaving it all because I realize, as Paul says, it's rubbish. And now I'm focused on Jesus. I'm focused. I'm waiting every day. In fact, if you read the end of the book of Revelation, Maranatha, Jesus come, Lord Jesus come. I'm waiting for your kingdom. I'm living for your kingdom. See, that's what's supposed to be true of us. We're making a statement. See, you know what excites me about baptism? What excites me about baptism is you're going to now watch people being baptized. And you're going to watch them go under the water. You know what that's a picture of? It's what they're saying is, I'm dead. I am dead to my previous life. All that I thought mattered, job, status, degrees, what the world thought, fame, popularity. I now get it. It's rubbish. And when they come up out of the water... They're saying, I'm a new person, and now I'm following Jesus. I'm following and seeking his eternal kingdom. That's what you're going to see some people do here. And I'll tell you what, that puts a smile on Jesus' face. Skip, can you play the video?